G'day, dear listeners. We are again going on the Tanakh Tour this November, and we want you to come with us, don't we, Jason? We do. We want you to put your deposit down for a seat now, and you can experience Torah Pearls, this show, for nearly two weeks. It's going to be amazing, isn't it, Tovia? Not just are we going to be going through the weekly portion together as we had gone through the entire cycle and discuss so many fascinating topics, but imagine not just studying Isaiah, but imagine walking in the palaces that Isaiah walked in. We'll be doing that in the city of David. And not just the city of David, we're going to be going far north. We're going to be going down south. We're going to be spending some very special time in Jerusalem. We want you to come with us. Places are filling up, but you can Go to truthtoyou.org, click on Tanakh Tour of Israel, the link where you can secure your place on the bus with us this November. That's important because whenever I'm not in the north or south or east, I'm usually in the west. Okay, that didn't work. I just came out of may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pills i'm jono and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from ireland is jason of spiritualbabies.net g'day mate g'day hello everybody and joining us from indonesia is the author of let's get biblical why doesn't judaism accept the christian messiah volumes one and two you can get a copy from his website outreach judaism Org. That's OutreachJudaism.org. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singh. It's wonderful to be here, and I say that with an Indonesian accent, just so all my brothers and sisters will understand. Wonderful to be back. Do you, actually, you, you've just returned from the Philippines. Did you pick up any, uh, no. what, what's the language? Diseases? Filipino? No. No, they, they, first of all, they're, unlike Indonesia, in the Philippines, the, it's really a bilingual uh, country, so you can they 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 speak English and and their native Filipino tongue. There are actually hundreds of dialects there, as in Indonesia. But no, I I didn't pick up it. I thank God. I was I want to thank my parents for being Orthodox Jews and sending me to school. Although I didn't like school as a kid, if I hadn't been. Uh, speaking Hebrew and studying in Hebrew and Aramaic as a child, I don't know if I'd be able to do what you guys do, and that is to pick up Hebrew as an adult. That would... Cause it, oh, it's, not, yeah, it's not easy as an adult. It is for Jason, but it's not for me. It doesn't come to me. I, I remember in school, you know, I remember in school having to learn French. I wanted to kill myself. And <laughs> I, I really did. I was like, jump off the, like, why do I have to learn from these French anti-Semites anyway? That's what I say to myself. They, you know, they threw us out of the country how many times? Like, I have to, like, learn their stupid language. I remember when I had to learn Greek to read the New Testament. I was, like, pulling my hair out of my head. It did not come to me. Just, I didn't, it didn't come to me. So I'm very grateful, Mom and Dad. I love you guys for sending me to school. Although, when you sent me to school, I wasn't crazy about school as a kid. Now, I wish, I, this is like would have been blasphemy, I wish I can go back to school. I wish now, <laughs> now is when I wish I could be back in school, back in university, and just sit all day, and all you're doing is studying with great masters. Of course, now I, now of course, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, well, I, yeah. I went. I went to Christian schools. I would. I constantly uh, daydream. Uh, and- 
and, and think, you know, what I would do, Jason, I don't know if you did this, but what I would do if I went back to my <laughs> went back to my schools knowing what I know now, I think I'd have a lot of fun. I think it'd make a good movie. <laughs> now you've yeah. lived all over you've lived all, all over Europe. I mean, have you are you one to, to pick up a whole lot of languages when you know, when you're out and about? I am um, pretty good at asking for chips and for beer. Um, I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm, yeah, Is that poker nearly, chips or what, what? No, 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 no. Like, uh, like uh, uh, so in America, you'd call them fries, um, but we call them chips. And uh, uh, yeah, and nearly any European country, I can get a drink and uh, a hot meal, and uh, that's why I'm trying to lose weight. But, uh, <laughs> okay. but yeah, I, I have a mi- I have a mishmash of languages. I'm not proficient in many of them, but I can kind of get by in most. Now, speaking of uh, speaking of <laughs> ordering food and speaking of mishmash, uh, we had a comment from Mari Silva. G'day, Mari, and she said Jason is correct about roadkill diners in the U.S. Although most states have health laws restricting this, there are there are a few who don't. You can read a good summary a good summary of this phenomena on Wikipedia. Now, I did look up Wikipedia. And uh, and there was a little bit of detail on this, and I thought, good heavens, surely not. But then Suzanne, Suzanne Stark, g'day, Suzanne. Uh, she wrote, she said, g'day, guys. Well, she wrote, hello, guys. My husband laughed very hard at your roadkill discussion at the things that are taken literally by other countries about America. What's in a name, she goes on to say. It means uh, things that are not domesticated, uh, that do not get killed on the road, you know, like possums or um, raccoons or a snake or deer. Wild animals uh, would be on the menu. This is this is what she says it means. If there are restaurants that do serve literal roadkill, the health department, if they found out, would shut them down immediately. It's not legal. We really enjoy listening to you two and your guests weekly. Shalom from Tim and Suzanne Stark in the other Washington. You've got two Washingtons over there, apparently, Tokyo. Is that right? I know. We're trying to get rid of one of them, but no one would take it. So we're (laughs) we're trying to unload one of them. And I'm in charge of the process, just so no. So if anybody out there wants one of them, now there's like everyone. But if you want them, talk to me. I'm in charge of of, of, going cheap. One of the Washingtons. Now, listen, I I don't expect that you would know, Tokyo, but have you heard of this? Like Jason was telling us last week. That in the U.S. there are diners that sell roadkill. Are, are you familiar how, with this? How would I know that? I mean, come on. I don't know. Someone ran know. over a mouse and like <laughs> served like mouse eyeballs to somebody. Like, how would I know that? How would anyone? Right. Come on. So well, like someone mixed a dog or a cat. Like, what do you? Well, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. Was it North Korea? But... They do that maybe, but not. They do. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for Leviticus chapter 11. I'm very pleased. That's, and Deuteronomy 12, 21. Very, you can't eat roadkill now, to be slaughtered. Michael Moore wrote, G'day, Michael. Michael said, Hello, my friend. I was listening to your portion today. It was interesting. Uh, two points you and Jason were discussing. Chapter 24, uh, talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, reminded me of what is read in Exodus 21, verses 18 27, that described the value of injuring uh, of injury being paid to the victim. Uh, the other one he said was about the squashed, crushed, cut, and torn testicles. Ouch. Right. Every time you mentioned it, I cringed, <laughs> he said. Uh, enjoyed it very much, and, and thank you, uh, and enjoy everything that you guys do. Thank you so much. Be blessed. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for writing in. Thank you, I, everyone. I think, I think it's awesome that um, in this day and age, people can still read the text and feel it in their bones. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe uh more different areas of the body should feel different place um things but at, le- at least something's getting affected by the text being read 
That's a good thing. That's right. You know, it's funny is when I read, so when I read the text you're talking about, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of a letter, a single letter variant in the Torah. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm thinking what? about uh, uh, that there is a, a word, Daka, spelled slight, with one letter difference between a Yemenite Torah and everybody else's Torah. It's one letter difference in the Torah. Why is that? Oh, uh, we don't know. And when I, yeah, it's so cute you asked that question. So we have this, you know, we talk about 304,835 letters in the Torah. And every Torah has that number. There is one variant which no one can explain. It's in the word Daka, if it's spelled with an Aleph or an Ayin. Now, as you know, those two letters often are vowel carriers, which means they have no sound. So mm-hmm. actually, the way it's spelled does not in any way affect the way the word is pronounced, what the word means, how it sounds, anything. But it's a difference, and we don't know why. It's just we discover that the Yemenites have this variant. And in fact, when when we read certain portions, it is a, to- a mitzvah from the Torah to read, like the destruction of Molech. Yemenites, mm-hmm. if will will not uh, go to a a non-Yemenite, well, they'll bring out two Torahs and read the same thing twice uh, for Yemenites. And I've I've lectured for Yemenite congregations or communities mm-hmm. in Israel, and they'll actually and there's it's a mixed group. And when we read certain sections, they actually will bring out both Torahs. So I'm thinking variant. I'm not thinking about well, that's. Curious, because, I mean, without you, I mean, you weren't here last week, and it was all testicles and uh, and roadkill. But <laughs> it's, it's that variant. But see what happens? But, but yeah, this is the cute thing. When I teach Jewish students this, that there's a variant, that there's a Torah, one variant, a letter in the Torah, to Jewish audiences, they do what you do, Jono, and they go, what? Like, what? Like, who's responsible for this? So, like, yeah. there are 400,000 variants in the Christian Bible, which is twice as many as there are words. But mm. Jews go nuts when when Jewish students find out that there's a word, you know, suedaka, and how you mean there's a letter difference. Who's behind this? Who did it? Who, I I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, Elijah will will sort that piece out for us. It doesn't change number count, meaning sound, nothing. But it's, it's made just one of those curious. Uh, it's a curiosity. Yeah. Now, now speaking of curious things, our uh, uh, Torah portion, Baha. Here we are. It begins like this. All of a sudden, Toby, we're thrown back in time, and, and and it says, "And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai." Yes. How do we get back there? Oh, this is the this is the so the Torah begins by Yidab Hashem Al Moshe Bahar Sinai The God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, "And we're about to be introduced to a commandment of Shemitah, which is exquisite. We'll talk about that in a moment." Rashi. Famous, the, like, Lahavdal, God forgive me, but like Shakespeare, to be or not to be, like, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, the Jewish version of that is to be or not to be. Is that a question? I didn't know what that meant, really. <laughs> I thought Shakespeare was not well. But anyways, like that, so Rashi asks the question, Ma Inyan Shemitah Eitzel Har That's the most famous line in all of Rashi, in all of Tanakh. And that is, what is, why we... Why is Mount Sinai put placed here, inserted mm-hmm. here? And that is to tell what's, so it, among religious Jews, if you like bring up something that has, that seems to have nothing to do with what we're talking about, the, the, the refrain is, mind Shemitah Eitzel Harsinai. What do you bring the Shemitah next to Mount Sinai? What are the, what is this juxtaposition doing here? Mm. That's, this is, comes from this passage here. And the answer is that he, people may say in the future that, you know what, not all the commandments were given to Moses at Mount Sinai. It was a developed, 
uh, religious system and the commandments would develop later on, not at Mount Sinai. Here we have, we're going to encounter a very unique and miraculous commandment, which we'll discuss in a moment, which, at, which did not even apply to the people at the time, because this commandment only applies to the land of Israel. So what the Torah is, is conveying to us is a number of things. One of them is that all the commandments, even those that were not relevant to that day, come, its origins are from God at Mount Sinai. The other part is the type of commandment we're going to encounter with Shemitah is, and that is the recognition that the Lord is, is master. The land belongs to him. We were given mm-hmm. it to, and therefore, just as at Mount Sinai, we recognize Hashem as our master, that he is, he governs our lives. He is going to miraculously interject himself in this commandment, which we'll see in a moment, in the same way as Mount Sinai produced a, an ecstatic spiritual um, uh, numinous experience, so does Shemitah. God is sovereign. Obviously, we're going to encounter Shemitah in a moment, which I, I guess we can bring out now, and that is mm. we're going to have the Shabbos coming up here. Shemitah is a form of Sabbath, and literally, the language is going to be identical. Shabbos is we recognize that God is creator. We are. We have been speaking about people and how they have to live their lives. You spoke, We spoke about animals in the last portion of the Torah. We're now going to plant yep. life and the land so we're covering everything has to rest ah, and that's what's beautiful. happening it's really this is an ecstatic chapter of the bible uh, it's going to come up even in daniel 9 incidentally uh, but we'll we'll go into all those things so this mount sign just know this it all is from mount Sinai. and for those who don't know this the i won't say anything more about this but this one thing what's called the copenhagen school the copenhagen school what's or uh, uh, biblical minimalism. What they what they're seeking to do is say, ah, the the Torah evolved a long time. The the commandments just developed and evolved. So they try to portray Torah as a man made or thing that's you know just evolved. No, it's saying no. The, all these commandments go back to Mount Sinai. Even if you didn't hear about it back in you know in Exodus twenty, it all came from there. And that's what it's saying here. And this is a commandment that didn't apply to the generation in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And so it goes on to say, uh, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, when you come into the land, which I give you, uh, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years, six years you shall sow your field, six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field or prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest, you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is the year of rest for the land. Right. So it's impossible not to notice the striking parallel between this language and the language of of the Shabbat, of the Sabbath. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. It, it'll be a day of rest. It's identical language here that the land rests, but instead of se- six days you should work, now it's six years you should work in mm. the field on the seventh day you should rest. One could say, one might say that there is a logical reason why the Jews would institute a law that would prohibit us from doing anything to the land once every seven years. So this is very important people to understand that there is a, if you know anything about agriculture and, 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 and running, uh, you know, planting and harvesting and, and growing stuff, 
is that land needs to rest. If you seed it and work the field and never give it any time to replenish its nutrients, it's going to become it's going to become a land that just can't produce anything for you. What is very striking is that although those who criticize these Bible, whatever criticize, say the Jews instituted this idea because, like every the Chinese know this, everybody knows you can't just work a field to death. Everybody knows that. Hmm. So, the, but what is interesting is that there were great solutions that made there were great solutions to avoid a massive problem that we're going to encounter in a moment. But they, they didn't have to do this where everybody, the land, just everyone stops at the same time. They could have used a crop rotation system, divide the land. Sure. They could have done, there are all kinds of alternative systems than what's happening here. So what we are happening, what we are seeing here is it's forbidden to work land, to see the land. The land just lays fallow. Yeah, and we just came upon a passage that if, in fact, you know, there's just something that just grew wildly, you can eat it as long as everybody else can eat it. Your animals mm. can eat it if everybody else's animals can eat it. But it has but to be... But you're just not harvesting. You can't yeah. commercially use it at all. Yes, if there's... I, I don't... You know, growing up in Brooklyn, we grew concrete, so this is not my field, excuse the pun. <laughs> right. no, I just didn't know. I don't know. I, you in Australia with goats, I don't know. You is a different... We, I don't yeah, know. look, I know, I know about this. I mean, it's quite uh, normal, Jason, this might ring, uh, you might know about this too, but, um, you know, for example, the vineyard, uh, quite often every now and then they would just let the uh, let the grapes stay on the vine and let the sheep into the vineyard and let them eat all around the, uh, the they'd eat the fruit of it, they'd eat the, and particularly the goats, I mean, goats would be great, but what, in doing that, you're also fertilizing the field and putting back the nutrients into the soil uh, because the livestock are, livestock are on it. Jason? Yeah, and the the, uh, the the way that nature works generally is that uh, animals and the wind and insects, anything that has a natural movement in both senses of the words, um, mm. are responsible not just for um, kind of pollinating, which is what the insects do, but they also move the seeds. So when a, when a bird or an animal um, takes a, a fruit or a, um, because it doesn't work with vegetables, uh, they don't have seeds, but if it take, when it takes a fruit, it'll eat that and the seed will pass through. And then wherever the animal goes to the toilet, it will drop that seed, which spreads the, spreads the stock, plants new growth. And as you said, fertilizes the soil. So allowing that to just happen naturally is super important. Not so much with something like grapes, because, um, you need to, target the nutrient in the soil yeah, towards yeah. where you want to farm it you know you don't want it growing willy, yeah. um, willy-nilly but um with with many other crop especially with things like grain it doesn't hurt at all to have that um spread out i just wanted to address a couple of points like toby said it's not that you can't um you can't eat off the land it's that you can't amass the stock from the land mm-hmm. um and this this is this two other points um one of them is that there's a very interesting part here where although in lots of translations it says untrimmed vines um the i think the text is closer to consecrated um and it's also the same hebrew as um in undressed vine as in a nazarite's hair so people that take the nazarite vow that leave their hair to grow mm. if you want to know what they did to the vineyards they did that to the nazarite's hair they weren't allowed to comb it cut it shape it you know, you just leave it to grow and i think that's a really nice picture 
of um, letting nature um, do its thing. Um, one other little picture that I got, I mean, we've discussed the, the Shabbat and how this is kind of an echo of, of, the, of the Shabbat, is the part where Israel is in the wilderness and God delivers mm. manna. And there's an interesting part coming up where every, they're told, don't go out on the Shabbat and take the, and pick the manna up where okay. you'll get, a, you'll get enough, um, the day before. And that comes up later on in particular with the question, cause there's, there's kind of an argument, um, when we get to the, the seven sevens, is that 49 years or 50 years? Ah, and, that's going to be the next question, yeah. Right, and one of the questions that comes up with that is, what are you saying? There wouldn't be enough food for two years. But God kind of addresses that later on mm. um, in the same way as he addressed the manna in the wilderness. That's true. That's true. We're going to get to that. So it says in verse 8, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years, and then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month on Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout your land and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land uh, to all its inhabitants. You shall be, it shall be a Jubilee for you, your Yovel year, right? Is that, is that what it is, Tobia? Yeah, it's, um, and what, it's interesting that you should proclaim a, a time of uh, freedom and you should sanctify this time. What's very interesting about this is that who's actually free? Well, we're going to find out precisely what freedom means. Is that is, you have indentured servants, they go free. These are not slaves that we're going to encounter because it's related to this directly. Um, like, even though we have the concept of slavery, which is a, uh, a, a curse of a modern era, mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the Torah is not, does not have that kind of slavery, but rather mm-hmm. we have this situation of uh, many different kinds, but these are people who really want to become a part of the family or who, who really are in a bad state, in a, in a difficult situation. So slaves, Many kinds of slaves all go free. What's interesting is most folks, folks like me and you, would didn't go free. It means so. What is very important is is that the effect of releasing all your slaves. Now, a slave meant again that you joined a family, or let's say you stole something, or you were impoverished. You needed to just belong to a family. Leaving that family became traumatic, and Torah is going to address. Um, those who said, I, I don't want to go free. Here they absolutely go free, but it mm. affects everybody. It means when you release, when everyone goes home back to their families, the whole nation experiences freedom, not just the freed slave, but everyone does. And that's what it's a reset, right? Yeah. It's, it's like a, like when you hit reset on your computer, it's a, everything just goes back to the way it was because uh, it says the Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. Each of you shall return to his family. And then it says in verse 11, that 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. Uh, in it, you shall neither sow nor reap, uh, and so on and so forth. Now, listen, is it 50 years or is it 49? Uh, it, it's very specific. It's the 50th year, and that's what the concern is going to come, what the Torah is going, as Jason said a moment ago, um, the, the concern is going to come about that you, in fact, uh, can have 
three years of no food because you, mm-hmm. you can't do anything on the seventh year. In this case, you wouldn't be able to do anything on the eighth year. Now, if you can't plant on the eighth year, if you can't plant on the eighth year for the ninth year, it means you don't have anything on the ninth year either. So you have a, you, a, you, a, you, you have to have a, a lot of faith in the God of Israel. This mm. is Sabbath. I mean, you're trusting everything here. And the Torah is going to address the person who's concerned who's worried like what are we going to do so yeah so you have an an, uh, and there's a commandment here to actually count very similar again to the sphere the counting team passover and Mm -hmm. shavuot we counted the the sanhedrin would actually um count and make a proclamation the word jubilee Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with it's it's a fine people can call yovel jubilee which is fine the word jubilee probably comes from jubilate to just celebration and so on right. you know so it doesn't um it was right to it. but yeah you know, it was a, it was a great day of freedom and so on everything went back to its origins so you don't sow you don't you uh, you don't reap what grows of its own accord nor gather wild, the grapes yeah what grows wild yeah. it means i i really and I, I was kidding around for i don't know anything about planting anything i i, I just don't know a thing about, but my guess is things if you don't do a thing some potatoes are going to grow. I'm guessing sure. carrot will just there's a seed left over and yeah. it just goes. So if your if your gates are down, which means anybody can come and take on your mm-hmm. field, then you could pick up a carrot and eat it. You cannot engage in commerce with it. You cannot store it. What grows as long as every you, if you're if other animals can eat from your field, then your animals can eat from your field. Yep. That's wild, but you can't do anything with it. So it's a free for all, but you can't. Uh, it's not for commercial purposes, Jason. Yeah, you mentioned yourself that the the word um, yovel there um, refers to the shofar, but yovel actually refers to the ram, and by extension, the ram's horn, and by extension, the shofar, mm-hmm. and and you can kind of hear yovel, you know, the 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 um the 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 V that we read in our text is often translated as a B. Um, you think of um, words, um, names like Rebecca, um, or even in Irish, Neve. Neve is spelt with a B in Irish um, because the, the the letters are interchangeable. Really? Yeah, because a lot of those old languages they work that way. Um, and so when we say Jubilee, that Yovel is right at the beginning of that word. That's hmm. where we get the Jubil from in Jubilee. Um, but uh, to move on, um, there's in Joshua six, there's um, a reference to this bringing in the sheep with the ram's horn. So, um, you know, every, everything returning back to the beginning place with the ram's horn. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool to read. And if people want more information on how the release works, um, Deuteronomy 15 is a good cross-reference for this part of um, the, the um, information. And as uh, Toby said right at the beginning of the show, proclaim liberty is are the words that are ingrained on, on the correct liberty bell. Um, and it just, well, that's kind of interesting as well because uh, we've got this... Um, governmental adoption of Torah principle. I mean, it's a shame it's not always laid out that way, but at least they start off with good intent. Uh, mm. So it's kind of interesting. If ever you get to see the Liberty Bell in situ, um, you can go and read that, and you'll be reading from the Torah off that bell. Mm. Uh, verse 14, And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another according to the number of years after the Jubilee you shall buy from your neighbor and according to the number of years the crops he shall sell you uh, according to the multitude of years you shall increase its price and according to the fewer 
number of years you shall diminish its price for he sells to you according to the number of years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear the, your God. I am the Lord your God. Toby, does that mean you're kind of, you're not selling it, you're kind of renting it in a way, right? right? You're actually selling, what you're doing is you're selling a crop. You're not selling the land. You could, the land cannot right. pass uh, out of from one family, from one tribe to another tribe. You really, in the state of Israel, I'm pretty sure the law is that technically, when you buy a home, you actually never own the land. In fact, technically, the land belongs to the government state of Israel. You, you buy, you, 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 you're sort of using the land, but the land belongs to the people. The land can't uh, transfer over. Now, what happens here is a whole set of laws where one sells it and perhaps one wants to get it back. So if I sell you a home, I'm really, or a, let's call it a land actually for agriculture. So that land goes back to the original owner at the time of Jubilee. No, that piece of land, if it's land for growing, it goes back. If it goes back, that means that that whenever you sell it, whenever it's closest to the Jubilee, the price should go down because you have mm-hmm. fewer harvests. The, right. Torah, the Torah is going to introduce us to be very careful not to oppress, not to use false calculations in order to assess how much the value is if the land is returned when you're selling it. Be careful. Mm-hmm. We're going to hear, I'd love the listeners to listen carefully for I am the Lord your God. You must fear the Lord your God. When you see that kind of language, what is being conveyed? I mean, because we've had, you know, we know we're supposed to be in awe of God. Why do we find it in certain commandments, and we're going to have it here in Leviticus 25 quite a number of times, you should greatly fear the Lord. Because these are the types of commandments where, where there's abuse is very, uh, it's very easy to abuse these commandments. Mm. Very easy to get away with stuff. There's a lot of loopholes that are available to people to get around these commandments. Many of them. I, I'm not going to sort through them all. In all these things we're talking about, there are games, there are miscalculations. We learn out many laws of, of, of how you're allowed to deal in commerce. You're not allowed to defraud someone to the extent that in Jewish law, you're not allowed to, because it says it don't oppress, defraud your brother. What exactly does that mean? Because we already know you're not allowed to steal. What is, mm. Altonu ish es achiv, and we're going to see that come up a number of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is prohibited to mislead someone in a sale. It's it forbidden for someone to mislead a seller. Which means, if let's say you're not really interested in buying it, but you go into the store because you just want to learn about it, but you can plan on buying it for someone else, you can't ask the person, well, you know, the salesperson all about it, and then go to another store and buy it somewhere else if you don't intend to buy it. You have to be mm. honest in the way you conduct yes. your business affairs. And again. A lot of elasticity here for abuse. And therefore, Mm. God is saying, I'm watching you very carefully here. And this is precisely what can get you into a lot of trouble. One other point I should mention, uh, Mm -hmm. there's so many points here, but uh, one other point uh, that should be uh, mentioned here is, this is so severe, the law of Shemitah, of of recognizing that the land belongs to God. We are told the very end of Chronicles, the very end, that, that the temple was the 
the Babylonian exile lasted mm. for 70 years because the Jewish people haven't, had desecrated this very commandment. This is, mm. this is completely tied into the destruction of the first temple for which it was destroyed. And that's why we're going to also see the other, other sins at the end of the chapter. But this, the, why 70 years? Moreover, this is going to connect very tightly into um, uh, Daniel chapter, famous Daniel chapter 9. We're not going to mm. go there now because that's the way. But Daniel 9, as you know, is, is, it talks about weeks in, in yes. units. It's 70 weeks have been decreed. Yes. Like, what kind of talk is weeks? Why not just say 490 years? That, mm. that is the normative vernacular. Why use Shabbos to use that term of weeks? Uh, to describe, well, it's from here. And why use it in Daniel 9? Because Daniel is entreating God in the first year of Darius the Mede, Daniel 9 1. And mm-hmm. it is specifically about, he's ter- terrified, he's petrified, because he thinks that the 70 year exile, that means the clock, has stopped, and now there's time for the Jews to return, and it didn't happen. And he's mm. petrified, and he's going to pray to God, going right from verse 3 all the way to verse 18 and 19, when the angel mm. finally steps in to say, okay, let me explain to you what's going on here. You've miscalculated Jeremiah's two prophecies. But but that's why Daniel is using the language that is indigenous to this epic chapter. Jason, verse 18. Yeah, just to uh, um, go over um, something um, Tobia said, and to kind of to stretch that out a little bit, uh, it says in verse eighteen, "You're to observe my laws," um, and that's directly after where um, God says um, you're to hold um, your God in awe or to have fear of um, God. Um, it's something that I, you know you do. You read that quite a lot, um, and you get this impression. I mean, to to ha- to have a fear for God and to hold God in awe, they're almost mm. two different things. And I think sometimes it's um, to have a healthy respect for um, for something that can take away the safety of your life um, that you are currently living, or or um, to have a healthy worry that things could go wrong at any point mm. is is a good thing. And I and I think that um, we we sometimes maybe don't do that enough when we have that relationship with God. We think we I believe in God, and uh, I love my relationship with God, and therefore He's going to look after me regardless. But it doesn't quite work that way, and that's spread out a little bit for over 18, 19, and 20, where mm. it says that you are to observe my laws and to keep my regulations and observe them so that you so that you can settle in the land with security, so that the land will give you fruit and you may eat and be full and you can settle with security upon it. And basically, if you keep my rules and if you respect me as the person mm. who ultimately gets to choose what happens to you, then I'll give you safety and you'll have food. And it goes into the twenty. And this is the part I was talking about earlier when we were talking about, when I was talking about the kind of a, the mirror here to um, to the manor. If you say we're in the seventh year, but we can't sow and we can't gather, mm. what if we starve? Mm. <laughs> then, then I will dispatch my blessing to you in the sixth year, so that it yields produce for those three years. And it makes me wonder if you didn't worry if you didn't worry would god still have um produced the extra three years crop i don't know um, actually maybe toby can help there but i don't know if in the hebrew it reads the same way but to me it reads that if you worry if you ask what are we going to do in the seventh year then i will dispatch my blessing during the sixth year 
But what if you didn't? What if you thought, well, you know, well, God will give it to me because he gives me everything I ask for. If you don't say, we can't sow, we can't gather, what should we do? If you don't ask that, then will God still deliver on those three years? Maybe it's just the translation and reading, but it definitely seems like there's a, a call for people to ask the question and then a reply from God. Tobia. Yeah. So, in fact, uh, it, what's it's very striking about Jason's question is his question is rooted in the text. If we step backward one passage, you're right. It is very much about faith because look at verse 19. The, the Torah says the Venos no Oretz period that the land will give forth its fruit va'achaltem and you'll eat it l'seva and you will be completely satisfied v'shaptem leveta chaleha and you will live completely secure. And now the Torah is turning, so it is an exquisite turn, and that is. What happens to you who doesn't, the person who does not have that kind of faith? I'm, I'm nervous. I, I don't know if I'll make it. I, what mm. will happen to people who, um, you know, if they, you know, people who lack faith and they want to know, will I survive without the crops? So God answers that I'm going to perform a miracle for you. God tells them that I'm going to do something special so that, but if Jews have complete faith and are completely confident they will not suffer, that they're not going to be deprived of the result of obeying this command, then a, a miracle wouldn't even be necessary for them. Um, it, it is natural, of course, that blessings come because, because of God's, because of those who put trust in their faith in God. But that's mm -hmm. the juxtaposition. What happens if someone's nervous, someone's worried? So, and what we are also seeing here it goes to what Jason mentioned earlier. Shabbos, Mount Sinai, we're, God is saying, I am a sovereign. We're going to see this throughout the chapter. The land, I'm in control of that land. You know, if Israel has a spy in, in Iran right now, in, in Tehran right now, um, and that spy wants to illustrate to its spy handlers back in Jerusalem in, at the Mossad that, that Look, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to go. And I can, I am in control. The spy will say, look, there's going to be a bomb that's going to go off in Beirut tomorrow. Watch it. God is saying, watch me. I am in control. I am the Lord. I'm the one who gave you this land. Look what I can do. Here's the key is the following. This was mm. completely not necessary if someone was going to make up a Bible because there's a real simple way out of the problem of over 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 farming your land that is just do a crop rotation divide your your crops up into seven sections and just skip one every year there's a million ways out of this problem you don't need to call upon the miraculous which demonstrates i mean the fact that the author of the book was not afraid to write this you you it means the author of the book had a very, if this wasn't from God, had a real easy way out of the problem. And that is mm. all kinds of, the author of the book is saying, I'm in control of this land. This land belongs to me. In fact, you all belong to me. We're going to see that later on in the chapter. And therefore, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you the triple, the triple, uh, in the sixth year so that you don't have to mm. worry for the years that follow. So sovereignty of God is here. I'm going to show it to you. And incidentally, the the author of the book doesn't give himself a way out. That's another thing I hope people don't miss. The mm. author of the book doesn't say that after the 
two years, whatever, then I'll give you this tremendous amount. And then there's a way out. And the way out is he didn't have enough faith. You know, there are people who tell me that when they were in a Pentecostal church and their pastor said, well, God's going to, if you give us, uh, you know, do this, then, you know, mm. you, the church, God, the Holy Spirit's going to give you all these blessings. And people mm. come back and their pastor say, nothing you said happened. Well, the pastor said, but you didn't have enough faith or you didn't believe mm. in Jesus enough. You didn't trust in Jesus. This happens all the time. What's happening here in the text is the author is not afraid to get himself locked into a corner because he's saying, I'm going to give you this miracle before you even have to demonstrate your faith, which is incredible. The author is saying, I'm giving it to you in the sixth year. So that means there's no excuses. I'm not giving it to you in the ninth year or in the eighth year. No, no, no. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you up front. Will you trust mm. in me? And you say, wow, if you, God, if you do that for me, I would definitely do it. Well, the Jewish people did encounter miracles at, at the sea in Egypt, and they made terrible mistakes following these miracles. We see today God is doing miracles in the land of Israel, where Israel is surrounded by enemies all around, and people mm. don't put their trust in the Lord and want to mm. give away the land to the enemy. So this is an on. Well, if God did such a miracle, I'd keep Shemitah if I got threefold in the sixth year, well, we see that, in fact, people have, can turn their back on the God of Israel. Even miracles are unfolding before their eyes. It's amazing, isn't it? Verse 23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. What is the gravity of that? Oh, this is so big. I, I, oh, 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 oh. I want to, this is very holy. <laughs> So the Torah is saying here that land cannot be sold forever. Can we talk, discuss that? At the end of the chapter, we're going to go into break it down a little bit further. But there's a, there's a, remember what I, what I shared with you is when we study scripture, we're learning for that extra word. So the Torah, there's an extra word here. So the Torah says at the end of the passage, um, for you are sojourners and residents, which means that if you mess this up, if you, if you, if you go into rebellion against me on this commandment on Shemitah, you're gonna, mm. you're gonna be thrown out of the land. Now, the key is the word, last word there is imadi, which means that you're with me. What is that? What does imadi mean? I mean you're with, you just says, you should just say, you are sojourners and residents. What is with me? This is the very key point. You see, the God stays with the Jewish people. God's presence, his Shekhinah, remains with the Jews, whatever happens to them. It, mm. it, I want to call your attention to one of the most exotic chapters in the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 1, where we have the divine chariot. Now, one of the things we see there is that when the Jewish people have to leave the land of Israel, what happens with the Shekhinah, with the divine chariot? It leaves with them. It goes to Babylon, leaves the land of Israel. And what is the last verse of the entire book of Ezekiel? Just the last verse. It says, my name will come back to this place. That means God is kind of saying there, there is something here. God is kind of saying, listen, don't blow this because you see, I'm, this is very intense. I'm with you in the land of Israel. Don't get my Shekhinah thrown out of the land of Israel, because my Shekhinah has to leave with you. You follow? So there mm -hmm. is in here that if Israel sins, it causes God to exile with the Jewish people from the land. So in a sense, God is pleading with his people to remain faithful, to, the, and therefore, for his sake. So therefore, the Jewish 
Therefore, the Shekhinah won't have to leave the land of Israel. That's Imudi. I'm always going to be with you. Notice, incidentally, when the ten northern tribes were exiled in Assyria, the Shekhinah didn't go. But when the house of David, when the covenant left, it had to go with them. The divine chariot had to depart. God is saying, let's just all stay in the land of Israel. That's that extra part there. You, you will remain in the land of Israel. In fact, we see that when the first temple was destroyed, it was destroyed. It is connected by the Bible to the violation of the Lord Shemitah. So we tragically see this unfold before our eyes. Mm. And it goes on in 24, and, if, if, uh, and in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption of the land. 25, if one of your brethren becomes poor. And has sold some of his possessions. Uh, should I and explain? If, if someone sells a piece of land, that's what we're going to come into. Con- we're coming into contact with because they just don't have enough money. You, you got to help people out. You can't. Let he's he's fall fallen on hard, hard times really hard for whatever times, reason. Right. Yeah, really yeah. tough times. Okay, so yeah. he's, he's fallen on. He's fallen on hard times. He's, he's got to sell some of his possession. Okay, uh, the Hebrew there is a very unusual word. I want to say this to the listeners about the Hebrew language. It's a very small language. The Hebrew language has is a very limited vocabulary. It's no remote like English. I don't know which is the largest language in the world. But English is up there with I don't know like six hundred thousand words, of which people only typically use only ten percent of it at most. But mm-hmm. Hebrew is a very tiny language, very tiny. It has, and that's why. And one word can actually mean a whole bunch of different things. And and biblical Hebrew is much more compressed than modern Hebrew, and you could see it when you look at your prayer books. The English words are much smaller than the Hebrew. Hebrew's got to be much bigger, the font size, to match it. There's a very special word here I want to just draw your attention to, and that's in verse 25. So Mm -hmm. it says, I don't know how the translation, if your brother becomes improvident, what what is... Yeah, well, in mine it says, uh, if one of your brethren becomes poor. Poor. So that's not a good translation. So what's happening here is it's not someone became poor. The word is, which means that it, it means that a person's starting to fall on hard times. They're, 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 they're starting to lose money very rapidly, too rapidly. So our sages tell us that if, if you have a, a donkey that has a, a, a large, uh, it's carrying a large burden and you see that the burden is starting to shift, people can go in and that point adjust the, the load so that the donkey is back upright and can move forward. Mm-hmm. But if that donkey falls over with its load completely, if a, ca- a chariot falls over and it fell down completely, even ten people, even five people can't get it straightened up. The whole, you have to take apart the whole thing. You have to unpack it yeah, and repack oh, it the, yeah. it's, You can't do it. That's what's going on here. The Torah, so just understand the subtlety of what's happening here. If you're, the word kiyomuchachicha is a, a, a very uh, and Torah, as I said, is very uh, cheap with words. It doesn't. There's not that many, but I mean, he's starting to fall on tough times. So he, the the donkey hasn't collapsed yet. He's not poor. He's just going down. So what is very uh, important is jump in at that stage to help him out. Don't let him fall to the point of mm. of complete destitution. That's what's happening. So you understand this is a unique commandment. We have other commandments of feeding the poor. This is different. This is step in when you see that uh, mm-hmm. your, 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 your brother your, is falling on top. And it's, it's the responsibility of the, uh, of the closer relatives to do that yes, first. Yes, right? that's right. The okay. person who's closer, in fact, we're going to see it there. We're going to see that an uncle yep. is first, then a cousin, the further mm-hmm. closer it is, the greater 
weight of the responsibility is uh, to upright uh, the person who's in deep trouble. But if he's not able to have it restored to himself, uh, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the, in the Jubilee, in the Yovel, shall, it shall be released and he shall return his possession uh, then. So even then, uh, again, there's a reset. And so all is not lost. Yeah. So uh, again, just uh, so if just want to make this clear. So if you have a piece of land, this is in the land mm-hmm. of Israel. And you sell it because you're in tough times. You can actually go back, the Torah says, and get your land back if you come up with the money. And mm. and it's up to the family. And actually, we're all one big family. So it's up to all of us to jump in and help the person redeem the land. The, in Jewish law, if a person sells his land because he's in huge financial trouble, he can come back to the buyer, and the buyer must uh, sell him back the land. After mm-hmm. actually two crops, he's and number two is what is going on here is the buyer has to be protected as well. You 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 he ha- the buyer has to get a full value of that land. You can't just give him some fraction. He has to get back the full because he's now losing mm-hmm. out on what he's bought. Yeah. So Torah is watching out on every part that people are on every angle. Every angle. Everybody here has to be protected. The buyer can't be ripped off. We're going to get into non-Jews who have all kinds of things here. But everybody has. To be well, before before we get there, now it is different though for houses within walled cities. Now, is this specifically to cater for the Levites? No, no, no. This is this is different. We're going to get into the cities of the Levites in a moment. Uh, the Torah tells us actually it's, it's interesting that it makes reference here to a part of the Torah that's coming up later, and that's in Numbers thirty-five, and that is there were forty-eight cities that were set aside for Levites. We'll, we'll talk about that because that's coming up in a little bit here. Here we have a very interesting passage, and that is telling us there are exceptions to every rule. If you mm. sell a house and the house is inside a walled city. Now, this is critical, and that is that the the house, what do you mean, when is it walled? Well, it's had to be walled during the time of Yehoshua ben Nun. So if, and there's a, that means during the time of Joshua. Joshua. It doesn't mm. mean that it's walled today. You can have a city that the walls were torn down a thousand years ago, but when the Jews entered the land, it's those cities like Jericho, like Jerusalem that walled at that time. They have a completely unique status. If I may give a little something very exquisite here, one, mm-hmm. one, th- there is what's called a, a creenixiv. A creenixiv means this is oral Torah, but there, there are times in the Torah where a word is re- written one way, that's ksiv, mm-hmm. but it's actually read and understood in a different way that can completely violate what is written. It's a rare anomaly. It's used in the text in order to convey a message. And we find one of these very rare events here. This is oral Torah. And for all those who are Christians, all Christian Bibles out there, you guys, follow our oral a Masoretic reading here. So, if you look at uh, the passage in verse 30, which means, typically, it, it means it has a wall, is how it should mm-hmm. be translated. But it doesn't actually say that. If you go to the Hebrew, the word lo could be spelled two different ways. It has two different meanings. Lamed mm-hmm. vav means to it. It's a pronoun. 
but lo with an aleph at the end means is not. Mm-hmm. If you open the Hebrew, now this is where those of you who say, well, I don't know if I believe in the oral tradition. Well, if you open the Hebrew, you'll see that the Hebrew says lam and aleph means is not with a wall. But your translation, I don't care if you use a King James New NIV, it says it, which has a wall. This is yeah. So uh, uh, this is verse thirty, right? So, but if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the yovel. Right. So here's the key. The, I'm only I'm taking time from the show because this is big. So here, if you go to the Hebrew, take my word for it right now, that the word there is Lamed Aleph. In the Hebrew, it says, it doesn't say that. In the Hebrew, it, the original text says, and it does not have a wall. But the oral law tells us, the oral tradition says to us, that you, it should be read and interpreted that it has a wall, the exact opposite. Now, why this is called, this is an anomaly called a Cree and a Xiv. It's to be written one way and to be interpreted a different way. Mm-hmm. And everybody follows us, okay? So I just, all the Sadducees, good night. Now, <laughs> so, but the why, now, of course, each one of them, why did God do this? Why did he write it one way and to be another way? These are defective words. And the reason is, is that to give over the message. It may now not have a wall. It may now, may not be a walled city, this house. But as long as it was a, in a walled city, going back to the time of Joshua. So there's this little nuance in there that conveys over, well, when did they build the wall? Did they build the wall last year, 15 years ago, 100 years ago? No. Mm. So that that's called a Kreenic Civ. It's fascinating. And again, it is. this is oral really Torah straight in there, and everybody follows. There are big examples of this. I can go all over the place. We're rarely going to get an opportunity to see one of these, and that's why I wanted to point it out right here. No, thank, thank you for bringing it up. Jason? Yeah, just uh, well, I was listening to Toby there. I just try. I thought I might kind of try and color it in. I mean, we we often get the outlines, um, but um, can we kind of color in between the lines? So we have an instance here where um, nearly the whole of this text has been about the land, and nearly the whole of this text, with the exception of cattle and slaves, and the, the whole mm. of the text has been about living off the land. Um, you can't live off land that's in a walled town. Uh, walled towns were generally hubs where people would sell trade or products. Mm, it's not an agricultural center. Right? No, not at all. It's, it's an industrial center or it's, or it's, um, going to harbor, um, the ruler of that, that land. So I know in, um, so in this, in the States, there's going to be a lot of people listening in, in America who, who were raised in America and they may be, unless they come from somewhere like Boston or, um, some residential areas in New York where there might be some history of it, they won't really, they won't really have any real, um, tangible idea of what a walled town was, what a walled city was. Mm. Um, I was brought up in the UK. In lots of towns in the UK and cities in the UK, there are still have, some still have fully intact walls. Um, really? uh, d- yeah, and um, f- even here in Dublin, um, uh, from my window, I can see part of the original Dublin Wall, which would have protected, not only protected the city from invaders, but also acted as a demarcation of who owned what land um, and where you needed to go to get to whoever was in control of the farmland on the outside. So it's kind of interesting that we read that there's a rule for the land that you can't grow on mm. and a rule for the land that you can grow on mm. um, and that the Brilliant. land that you can grow on is kind of more important that someone 
Look, okay, so it's fine here that you can you can own this land that's within the wall forever. You know, if if it all goes wrong, the the guy that buys that he can keep it. I mean, w- but what difference does it make to anyone else? They can't do anything with it anyway. But the land that can be farmed, that absolutely has to go back because that's right. important for the people. Of, and I think, you know, we, um, I just, because I, I grew up with that kind of thing, you know, you're used to having the wall around the, t- around the, t- the town and for that mm. to have a purpose. And, I've, you know, I thought I'd just share a little bit there. No, thank you. So now, and conversely, it goes on to say, nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses in the cities of their possession, mm. the Levites may redeem at any time. Right. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites and then the house uh, that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the, in the Yobel, uh, for the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel, but the field of the common land of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. Tobia. Right, so this is where, uh, this is where the city of the Levites go. I, I know folks have been studying scripture with us for a long time, and they've heard us talk about the fact that the Levites, I mean, those are from the tribe of Levi, were not given a plot of land, were not assigned a plot of land. Mm. Well, where did they live? They, were they homeless? Like, what does that mean? Well, the Torah addresses this in eight verses in the, in the very opening of um, of Numbers 35, 1 through 8. And that is what Hashem does is something exquisite. The All the tribes had to set aside certain parts of their own land for the Levites to live there. So your city, if you lived up in the north, you had to set aside a certain area. And that area always remained in the in the possession of the Levites, meaning it was for their use. These are people who were devoted their lives for for public service to temple service. They were not agricultural, but they were uh, people who were immersed in holy work all their lives. And therefore, what the Torah is telling us here is, when it comes to Levite cities, although I told you a moment ago that a house that's in a walled city, well, that, you know, that could, you know, could be really sold. Never, never, never the Levites. Now, there's a reason mm-hmm. why you have 48 cities for Levites spread all over the land of Israel. This was, this was the oxygen for the people. Hashem wanted that the Levites should, these are people who had dedicated their lives to God, who that's all they were doing was ecclesiastical work. They were, they were not working with tomatoes. Their lives were indulged in study, in scripture, in singing, music, service in the temple, service for the people, bringing God's uh, message to the nation. Mm. And it was very important to have these very uh, uh, people who were de- so dedicated to be among the people. What would happen if we didn't have, have Levite cities? What would happen if all these these people who were dedicated priests and Levites were all just in Jerusalem? That means some Someone who lived in Haifa, someone who lived up in Dan, down in Beersheba, would never encounter them. Their kids would never learn Torah from them. Their daughters would never know what it means to serve God because the greatest teachers and leaders were these men. So Hashem makes sure that Levites, these people who were devoted to Hashem, are living throughout the land of Israel so that the people of Israel can learn from them because they're right in the middle of their neighborhood. They have a special law assigned to them. No, no matter what the circumstances are, that land of the Levites could never, ever be transferred out. There could be mm-hmm. one Levite can sell to another Levite temporarily, but it could never be a permanent, ever, under any circumstances. And again, if uh, one of your brothers becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner. 
that he may uh, live with you. Right. That means, right. That that means that you 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 should you should strengthen him. I, I think the re- the reading should be gervis soishav, which means either a person who's a convert or a gertosha, which means a non-Jew oh, who lives right. among you. It, I don't I don't know how the translation reads it, but it should be like a kind of hyphenated or whatever or double comma. But the key is whether it is no matter who it is, if it's someone who is given all the blessings, and remember, mm-hmm. not only is someone who converts to Judaism, they get tremendous protection, but also a person who is a not Jewish, but who is a gertosha, which means they take upon themselves uh, the laws, the seven Noachai mm-hmm. laws, they never worship idols or anything like that. These laws apply to them. They are given all the blessings and protection of the Torah if they take upon themselves the seven Noachai laws. And that's what we have in view here in verse 35. And it says in 36, take no usury or interest uh, from him, but fear, again, fear your God that your brother may live with you, and you shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's, 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 I'm I, 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 sorry, I, I only want to dominate the show because I'm trying to sell a lot of books. <laughs> and <Sure. laughs> Oh, by the way, one thing really yeah. cool we're going to do in our tour in coming in the land of Israel is in Oh, yeah. The wall around Jerusalem, just a little point here. I know I'm jumping, mm. but it, this is too yummy. The wall that you see in Jerusalem is fairly modern. It's a, it, that's just, just a, just whatever, a few hundred years mm. old. The ancient wall of Jerusalem we're going to see in the tour, and it's in the Jewish quarter, and it's, that means the, the original old city of Jerusalem is not what the old city of Jerusalem is today. We're going to see the wall described in the Bible. We're going to see that in the tour. It's right, yeah. right smack in the Jewish quarter. In fact, oh, so where the Arabs are in the in the old city is not really part of the Jewish. It's not really part of the old city because it's mm. much further north. If the old city, we'll we'll see it then. But it's really quite exquisite. But you're going to get to see the actual wall. I'm not going to just point to a place and say, "Well, this is where." No, you're going to see it. You're going to feel it. You're going to touch it. You can see the arrowheads. It's all right yeah. there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That, of course, is in uh, November with Toby and myself and Jason. Uh, we're going for, uh, well, what is it, 10 days? And you can get the details on truth2u.org. But be quick, because there's only, boy, there's less than 10 seats left, people. So don't, don't leave it too long to secure your place on the tour with a deposit. Uh, it continues on in verse 39, and this is the law concerning slavery. Now, Toby, there's, there's, there's bits in here that aren't really very uh, politically correct. No, but it is. It's fine. It comes from... I, I, I feel bad because I went to Yeshiva. We studied this. So here's a case where someone says, I just can't make a living. I'm unemployed. Here's a guy who's doing really well, has a great home, and he's, he therefore is working. He becomes, so we're using the word slave, Eved, but it, mm-hmm. he becomes like a part of the family and he, he lives off that family. If you recall, let's go back to the Bible for a moment. Uh, when mm-hmm. Abraham has, wants to choose, a, first when Abraham doesn't know how is he going to have children to have a, a nation, yeah. he Eliezer. thinks, who does he think is, right, Elazar, he thinks it's Elazar, you know, and God says, no, actually, in Genesis 15, it can't be Elazar, it's going to be someone from your loins. So understand that modern slavery had nothing to do with what is happening here in this passage. You know, so and true. one other point I just want to make, 
There's Please. so many people were terrified of taking in a slave. I mean, we're using, going to use the word slave, but you got to know we're using the same word, but we don't mean the same thing. There are things in common, so people get into a lot of trouble here. But the Torah is going to say now, you got to be really careful. You can't actually let your slave do slave labor. That's what the text says. What? I thought that's what a slave does. So Torah is saying, do not ask, you're not allowed to even ask the person who's working now with becoming part of your family, do anything you wouldn't do. Mm. Don't do What that. I've got in the English, it says do not rule over one another with rigor. Yeah, which means don't make him do something denigrating. Not only that, if there's only one pillow in the house, guess who gets it? If there's only one mattress in the house, guess who gets it? Our sages tell us that there's, it's a very famous saying that when a when a person acquires a slave, he really has acquired a master. Because the, the, the person who is an Eved is treated with such kid gloves, according to Torah, he has to be cared for and has to be given everything before anybody else does that in a sense, so it's a, it was an old joke, this is a joke like 3,000 years old, that so, call me Shekinah Eved Kainu Rabbi, whoever acquires a Eved, a slave, really is acquired a master because now you've got someone in the house who has special laws to protect him and he gets first he's like first online he gets everything taken care of and you can't make him do anything you can't tell him go clean my toilet go do something that you would never do you know you can't like the lawyers you can't tell this person go put please put my shoes on for me you're perfectly capable of putting on your own shoes i remember when i was diving in egypt so they like the the they're running around putting your boots on for you and if you if you you're not, allowed, you're not allowed to ask your Eve to put your shoes on for you. I mean, you could put on your own shoes. You don't have to ask him to put you, to slip your shoes on for you. That's denigrating. So therefore, you, you, these people had to be protected. Now, we're going to see everywhere, everywhere salted here is, I, fear me, I'm mm. watching you. Because I'm obviously, you, yeah. because these people can be exploited. And therefore, God said, I'm watching you. And you're going to see a lot more of that here than in others. Because here's where people can exploit someone and take advantage and use loopholes and so on. God's saying, I'm watching what you're going to do here. Mm. Jason. Yeah, just um, to kind of reiterate, I think what, what I, I wonder if we are so used to using the word slave because there was a choice made at some point to use the word slave to somehow justify the use of slaves. You know, when the when these texts first started to turn up in into the English language and common use, slavery had was very uh, you know very popular. And I wonder if there was kind of a retrofitting of the word slave that, that they felt would then justify actual slavery. Um, mm. Because when I read this, I'm, I don't read slave so much as I read a servant. And even when we go on to, so 39 in mine, and I just want to thank Miriam, uh, my friend Miriam on Facebook sent me, um, sent me the five books of Moses, the Everett Fox, um, translation, which I've been oh, yeah. looking through this morning. Uh, thank you very much. If anyone else wants to send me books, let me know. Uh, I've always got room for more books. Happy to receive them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's really nice in this, it says, when your brother sinks down beside you in poverty, and he sells himself to you. You are not to make him serve the servitude of a serf. So I think mm. it's trying to reflect in the Hebrew there. That there's a there's a kind of a double use of a word, um, and it goes on is to be treated as a hired hand, as a resident mm. settler. Settler, he's beside you. So within this group, as Tobias said, you're going to have um, you're going to have the the converts, if you like, 
uh, and you're going to have people that live within the moral structure of Israel, but perform a task. Now, they're not mm-hmm. to be looked at as secondhand citizens. They're human beings. Um, and with that, with that status, they have certain rights. And just because this person sold himself to you doesn't mean he has lost any of those rights. Um, mm. so I think servant is probably a much, you know, with our understanding of what a servant is today, someone that works for a living, but maybe lives with the family, uh, it's probably a much fairer interpretation. Having said that, there is a distinction when we get to, uh, 44, it says, um, and as for your male and female slave, I've got slaves here, whom you uh, may have from the nations that are around you. Hmm. Uh, from them, you may buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the, the children of the strangers who dwell among you and the families who are with you, uh, which they beget in the land, and they shall become your property. You own them. Right. And uh, you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you to inherit them as a possession. And they shall be your permanent, permanent slaves. But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. So, uh, Toby, does that mean that you you own uh, the slaves that you purchase from the nations and you can pass them on to your yes. children as, as inheritance they, regardless of the Yovel? In fact, you're not allowed to free them unless you actually have a reason. And we see that over here. Uh, um, that means that now we're talking from verse in verse 44 through 46, what's coming mm. into view is you have people who are not Jewish who become avodim. It's the same room. They are becoming a member of the family. Incidentally, they actually have to keep many laws. They keep all the laws, and Eved keeps all the laws that are incumbent upon a woman. So they don't have to keep laws that are time-bound, that are positive, as an example. But they, 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 So they become a part of the family. One other point if they're freed, it means if for whatever reason they're freed, they become completely Jewish. That's another point that's very important. And in fact, there were cases where they needed another Jew in the community, for instance, to have a quorum of 10 men. So they actually, someone would free their slaves so that that person oh. would now be full-blown Jew, and now they can count them as part of the uh, part of the quorum. So mm-hmm. this is someone who became a member of the family who was not right. Jewish. Uh, again, you know, when I t- teach history, the most di- for me, the most challenging thing is to convey to my audience, to my students, that you've got to divorce yourself from our 20, 21st century world. And in the ancient world, if you didn't have a family, you had nothing. There was no, like in Australia or whatever, you have all kinds of laws for everybody and there's police. And th- In the ancient world, what protected you was a family, a clan. If you didn't have a clan, you didn't have a family, you didn't have... You were done. You were, you were fried. No one's there to protect you. So becoming an Eved meant you're joining a family, and it was, it was a permanent joining. They could be freed, but it, it's not something that really slaves wanted because, they, again, I'm using the word slave. Just divorce yourself from modern slavery, which is sin. Incidentally, the comment of what you had said, uh, it is true that those who took slaves in, in the last many hundreds of years did use the Bible 
to, uh, it means when in South Africa with apartheid, they used all kinds of passages to say it was okay. Um, but they were doing something completely different. They were selling a black man on the open market who was going to live like garbage in Alabama in 1844 for $1,000. So you're paying about today about $50,000. But he was going to live as garbage and, and did not have the rights. Here, these people have not only rights, they have more rights than you have. As I said, the refrain of this, call me Shaklan, Kona Evid, Kona You, In fact, if you have a slave, I mean, someone lives with you, you've got to protect them more than yourself. But that's what, we ha- what we're viewing here. Right. So now it continues on. Uh, if a sojourner or a stranger close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells with him becomes poor, and he sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you, uh, uh, or to a member. Uh, I yeah. Sorry. So here, just so I understand, what, you're, for, for what we are now encountering, this is going to go all the way to verse 55 or something, the other way around. That means, hmm. let's say you have someone who lives in the land of Israel. So let me talk about one of my good friends, Jim Long. Uh, in Noahide, right? So he lives in the land of Israel. Holy man, great man, we love him. He can actually, a Jew gets himself into a really big economic predicament. And what happens to someone who isn't Jewish, uh, buys him. And now you have a Jew who's, a, who's an Eved for a non-Jew mm. in the land of Israel. It's reversed. So this is Jews owned by non-Jews. So you get what these passages talk about. Now, at this stage, everybody's got to jump in to try to redeem this individual. One other point I want to make, because I don't want to forget it, and that is that we're never allowed to oppress here. We're not allowed to, if somebody sells themselves into slavery or gets themselves into a situation where they're economically depressed and eventually are freed after Jubilee, they have to be restored back to the original job. Um, they can't be like uh, folks who wind up in trouble, get into trouble. Sometimes can't get a job. They, ha- you can't say to them, "Well, I'm sorry, you once you know sold yourself into slavery, so uh, you you can't have a job of high prestige." That's forbidden in the Torah. So mm. just like no, that's what we're encountering right here: Jews owned by non-Jews. And again, we're using the word "own," but you, you understand. And you know what? I love the way that this passage ends, and I think this is beautiful. This is verse. 55, Tobia, and it reminds me of Isaiah 53. It says, For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Mm, right. I'm in ch- I am in charge. Don't See, here's the big message. We want to get what, what's really happening. What's the electricity that's flying here? What's happening is that I am in charge of this land. I'm allowing you to live on the land, and you're going to even act like God, which means you're going to be creating things, growing wheat, and then you're going to uh, cut the wheat, and then you're going to take the kernels, and you're going to crush into flour. You're going to do all these things and make bread. So you're kind of getting involved in the creation process. Remember who's in charge. You're going to have servants. You might have that. But remember, ultimately all of us, that means we're all servants of God. The God is ultimately the master. I am in charge. Don't ever forget it and don't ever use my commandments to oppress another per- person because remember, mm. I am in charge. That's why it ends with this contract. Like That's how this fits. Assembles so so well at the end. Uh, actually, it's the beginning of chapter twenty six, which is the end of this. Torah yeah, portion. we've got we've got two more verses. Which uh, don't don't cheat on me. I mean, I, yeah. we're, if we're married, remember, and and we're married. This is what I said in my debate. I don't, I want to make sure that I better not see a text message. You know, I love you. You know, whatever XOXO from some other woman. Somebody else, I don't want to yeah. find. 
find pornography on your computer. I don't want to mm. find, you know, find, I mean, God is saying, remember, you're married to me. I, you know, I am the, I am ultimately the Lord. Don't you dare turn, you know, turn to idols. Don't you dare, you know, engage in foreign worship. Don't you dare do that. Instead, we revere the land. And remember, we talked about the sanctuary. We talked about yeah. it earlier. We're going to talk about the sanctuary as being amazing. But the sanctuary is man creating a home for God on this earth that's run by a different set of uh, governing laws, not the laws of thermodynamics. And Hashem says, is, is, uh, you should be in awe of my sanctuary. In fact, we find in Jeremiah 23, verse 16, um, uh, um, we find that, that in fact Jerusalem is called the Lord uh, and in fact when the temple will be built righteousness. The, a Lord of righteousness yeah. and in fact when the temple will be built in Ezekiel 37 the nations will know that I am Lord so mm. we have a warning here God is in charge and don't think this is a key point this is where everyone gets it wrong incidentally I mean the Torah was given to us in the year 2448 after creation where do people get it wrong? We, we can figure out from the prophets where people get things wrong is not eating pork as much as really oppressing people, take, exploiting uh, people who are weaker than them. We see that going, well, that, that's human nature is to exploit others. We see that in Genesis 6 early on. And that's the warning. People think they can get away with the ritual, but they, they've got a girlfriend on the side. God says, that's not going to work. If you, if you're, we're sharing a marital chamber, there can't be somebody on the side. You can't be, uh, you can't be calling someone else Lord or praying in someone mm. else's name or any of that or bowing to anyone else. And those warnings are the first two verses of chapter 26 at uh, the next Torah portion, uh, which comes up a little later this week. It's a double portion this week. Jason, it's the last Torah portion of Leviticus. We're almost at the end. It's crazy, isn't it? We're flying through this. I mean, we when, when we started out, I, I remember thinking, wow, that's a year. You know, what are we going to... Because, you know, you've got that... You know, what if we can't do it for a year? What if something happens? What if you get ill? You know, it's a big kind of contract to sit down and do these um, shows for that long. But oh, here yeah. we are, over halfway through, and... Um, pr- we're almost pr- three books down. Yeah, provision has come, and we keep on going. Well, thanks to me. To, uh, the, the, I hold it the whole thing, but not me, the whole thing will be... But uh, I happen to be here, so now everything... I yeah. One of the things I hope everyone's getting is, you know, like Jason said, we're going through the Torah. You're seeing now the same thing. You know, like everything is made out of carbon, really. It's all the same material that's running through all these commandments, the relation mm. with God. It's all the same theme over and over again. It all fits exquisite. This is music. It's beautiful. Jason of spiritualbabies.net. Thank you, my friend. Rabbi Tobias Singer of outreachjudaism.org. And just a reminder to the listeners, if you haven't got it already, let's get biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah volumes one and two? You can get a copy there at his website. Highly recommend them. Thank you, my friends. And until next time, dear listeners, be blessed. Be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom. Shalom.